And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. From the Gospel according to St. Mark, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Nearly 20 years ago, I had the wonderful privilege of meeting an English baroness. It's not every day you meet an English baroness, but I did. Baroness Caroline Cox. Some of you may have heard of her. Baroness Cox had been a crossbench member of the House of Lords since 1983, and throughout that time, she has been an advocate for Christians throughout the world facing humanitarian crises as well as persecution. In a powerful talk, she related how it was that she received a death sentence in several countries and how she would drop down by helicopter into places like Karabag or northern Nigeria or Burma just to visit Christians facing terrible circumstances. She told the story during her talk at the New Wineskins for Global Mission Conference in 2003 of a visit to a remote village in an undisclosed location in East Africa. The people of this village had been reached by the gospel just a few years earlier, and it had meant immediate violence and persecution against them. As soon as she came to the village, it became clear that not only were the people of that place living in almost constant fear because of Muslim militia and their daily aggression, but they were worried also because an evangelist from their community had gone out five days before to reach a town not ten miles away, and he had not yet returned. They feared that he may have been attacked by the militia or by some kind of animal. And as she prayed with them, a cheer came upon the people, and they watched a tall man with a great big smile walking into the village. It was their evangelist. And when they asked him what had taken him so long, he replied, well, it takes a long time to baptize 5,000 people. We hear today the words of Jesus, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. I remember that story because it would have been all too easy for that evangelist to just say, let's hunker down a bit. Let's stay where we are. Let's not go anywhere. It's too dangerous. It's too scary. And yet the Lord honored his courage. The Lord honored his determination. At the heart of the Lord's mission is not the establishment of a single shrine city with a geographically specific temple, but a world-reaching, pervasive gospel meant to go out through all the world from next town to next city, establishing the church as a body that can best be described as truly Catholic, meaning not constrained to one people or one nation, not constrained to one place, and for that matter, not constrained to one particular time. The changeless message of the gospel and the mission of the church Catholic is to love and, to love and save lost humanity go together. There is not an American gospel and a Nigerian gospel and a Burmese gospel. There is one gospel. And there is not a Brazilian church and a Mongolian church and a French church and a Tibetan church. Or even a persecuted church and a free church. There is one church. 
And through her goes out the message of the Gospel, propelled by the fuel of the Holy Spirit, empowered by the prayer of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. You might think it was that evangelist that did that wonderful, bold work. And wasn't it amazing that he went out and did that? What was behind it? I don't want you to miss this. What was behind that action? Just as it has been with all great missionary endeavors through the centuries, is the very prayer of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. You and I need to hear this afresh over and over again, that it is the Lord's great passion to come into the darkness of human life to redeem and save. You need to hear it if you've been a Christian a long time, and you need to hear it even if you're not a Christian today. I need to hear it in the midst of darkness and pain and sin, when life is full of heaviness, when I do the very thing I do not want to do, and when I find it to be a law that there's a war within my members. I need to hear it when my path is full of heaviness. When there is nowhere to flee, as the psalmist says today in Psalm 142, and when no one knows me, not even myself, and when I am brought low, and when I'm in prison, often a prison of my own making, the message is the loving kindness of the Lord in redeeming and saving not just you and not just me, but out of every people and nation. That the Gospel is not just for me and it's not just for you but it's good news to the whole world. Today in the reading from 2 Kings, we see even in the Old Testament that God is a God of and for the nations. A Shunammite woman not only being blessed with a son, but that same son being raised from death by a miracle. There are multiple layers to this story, and you could go on and on and on about it, but at the heart of it is this, that God is not the God of one nation or one tribe, the God of men and not women, but the God of all, intent on bringing great blessing upon the nations. In fact, I've come to know people through the years who were missionaries, and there's even a member of this parish who was literally raised from the dead. One of our midwives literally was dead for half an hour in North Africa and was raised this stuff happens today. And in the reading from 1 Corinthians, Paul reproves the Corinthian church for their factionalism, for their splitting into groups. The fact that he preaches the gospel is not a ground for his boasting, but a stewardship that the gospel may be presented free of charge. Paul speaks of being made a servant to all that he might win more. In the annual address last Sunday, and you may have read this in the email, I made mention of this, that the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ that Paul speaks of in Ephesians chapter 4 is the work of diaconia. You might say it's a diaconal work. By the way, some of you, I know you grew up Baptist, and so you think of deacons in a different way, but a deacon is a servant, not a board member. A deacon is a servant of service to the church and of service to the nations. Pointing us to this deep service which is the heart of the church's life and ministry. 
It is a service to the nations. It is a service to the neighborhood. It is a self-emptying outpouring of the self for the sake of the gospel for all people. And it is when the people of God are equipped for this self-emptying, canonic, you might use that wonderful Greek word from Philippians chapter 2, canonic servant love coming straight from the ascended Jesus at the right hand of the Father, that the mission of the church thrives and the church is built up, working properly. Consider that for a moment. That the image in Scripture of the body of Christ functioning properly, working properly, is not an earthly image, but a heavenly one. The image of the fully mature body of Christ is the body of Jesus at the right hand of the Father offering intercession. And the result of that intercession is this. That the church is built up. The church is built up in number. The church is built up in health. And most of all, the church is built up in love. And I don't know about you, but I'm starting to get a little despairing of the lack of love. Not just in the world today, but in myself. In myself. Beloved, this is so utterly crucial. And we see it in the Gospel reading today that the church's mission begins... In the intimacy of the interior life of Jesus and continues in the Gospel being spread to the next towns and not bottled up in one place, not not contained, but constantly spilling over. I love the, there's a, have you ever heard of the waffle theory of missions? It's a great theory. You know, when you pour syrup into a waffle... In one spot, it just spills from square to square to square. That's how the gospel is meant to go. From place to place. So the first thing to talk about is this. From the gospel reading today. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there He prayed. Before the mission expands beyond Capernaum, before going on to other towns, the Lord goes to a desolate place And he prays. He who keeps the demons from speaking, who heals the sick, who raises Peter's mother-in-law out of a fever, he whom the heavens cannot contain, and yet is pleased to dwell in a body, he goes to a place of emptiness, to a desolate place to pray. We see that at the heart of Jesus' life is not all the good that he can do, It's not the miracles. It's not the casting out of demons. At the heart of Jesus' life, and you really do miss the Scriptures if you don't see this, at the heart of Jesus' life is that which He always had before time and forever, enjoyed with the Father and the Holy Spirit, the intimacy of the inner life of the triune God. The power, the grace, the source, and the end of mission is not a better world. I want you to hear that today. It is not a better world. It is not a more just world. It is not a world in which poverty or sickness end. It is so much more than that, and it is from this very heart that all of that comes. The end of all mission 
is a world in which the glory of the triune God is seen and known everywhere. Full stop. Everywhere. It is where the hidden presence of God in whom we live and move and have our being is made manifest. Let me say the very beginning of this manifestation of the triune God when the curtain is pulled back is the life of prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ shares with his body, the church. Saying, and you remember that, how, how shocking it must have been for the disciples to hear those first words about his, out of his mouth when he said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he says, our Father, our Father. At this very moment, Jesus is both God and man at the Father's right hand, praying, pouring out His divine life before the Father, interceding for His church. And this is the end and source of the church's mission. This intimacy with God. In fact, it is the end and source of your life. This deep intimacy with God. And I just want to say this this morning. When, when we avoid intimacy, we enter into a kind of lying. Sometimes actual lying. When we avoid being known and when we avoid knowing, we engage into sin. And the church that is ablaze for the mission of God is a praying, worshiping, self-outpouring, intimate with the Father church. The interior life of prayer is the soul of every work of mission, every act of the world, every act in the world which proclaims the gospel. Without that soul, the gospel becomes indistinguishable from a social program. Mission agencies and churches little more than NGOs and the church's work little more than atheistic altruism. When a Christian organization loses this deep clarity at the heart of the Christian life, at the heart of the church's life, she becomes less herself. And Jesus makes for His disciples an example. He goes to pray before the dawn, making the disciples search for Him. And this is, this is the big point, that the disciples must go to meet Jesus in that desolate place. They must go to see Him there. They must go to that place where there are no other distractions, where there are no needy people, where there are no big needs. They must meet Him in that desolate place before they go on to other towns with a power not their own. It is not your power that saves you. It is not your power to overcome sin or your power to do good. It is not your power that can save anyone. It is not your power to do justice. It's not your power to do mercy. It is not even in your power to love. It is the power of Jesus. And when you do it on your own, you will fail over and over and over again. It is the power of Jesus who poured out His life, who continues to pour out His life before the Father for you and for me. 
It is this outpouring of the life of Jesus which we come to receive in the Eucharist today. The delusions of sin, the pride which obscures our vision, the habitual sins which seek to destroy, they cloud over our vision and we do not see that Jesus is doing His greatest work. His greatest work at the Father's right hand. You remember that point in the Gospels when Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than me. Do you remember that? Greater things. Is it not by Jesus' life with the Father, a life of prayer, that we will do greater things? Jesus is exactly at this very moment where He needs to be. And you might say, why am I suffering so much? Why am I in misery? Why can't I overcome the sins that beset me, that fill me with shame? Why do I feel so alone? Or perhaps you're a bit more externally focused. A bit less concerned with yourself. Good for you. And you ask this. Where is Jesus in the midst of the suffering of this world? Where is Jesus in the miseries of the poor? Or the conflicts of this world? Or unjust laws? Or untold evil? What is the Lord doing right now about all that? Because I don't see it. And we must say, He is fueling His mission by the work of intercession. God and man at the right hand of the Father reigning as King. He is doing as much as is even possible at this very moment. If you are in despair at the state of this world, if you are in despair of your sin, despair of the sin of others, and despair of the brokenness of life is too much to bear, if you are troubled or hurting or sick or sorrowful, if you are in despair at the state of this world, hear this. Jesus isn't worrying about that right now. He's not sitting there like, oh no, it's overcoming me. What the heck am I going to do? That's you. It's me. Jesus is not fearful about the state of this world, and he is not fearful about you. Perfect love casts out fear. And in that perfect love, Jesus is praying. And He's calling you to prayer. Calling you into that very life which He inhabits before the Father. And all the while continuing to pour out light on the nations. Brothers and sisters, I want, to, I want you to hear this this morning, this morning. Without prayer, the Gospel would have gone nowhere. Nowhere. Without prayer, there'd still be 127 old people sitting around in an upper room. Without prayer, that's what every single church will eventually become, is just 50 people sitting around saying, what the heck are we going to do? 
Brothers and sisters, Jesus sets us an example for the fueling of the mission of the church. Brothers and sisters, the mission of the church and the mission of the gospel is alive because Jesus is alive and he is interceding. You are alive because Jesus is alive and interceding. And he calls you into that great work. He calls you into that great harvest which is plentiful. It is the laborers that are few. That you might be his body in the world. Sharing in his mission of love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.